0: The Fake Show Podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Hutchison & Steffen. The Craft House Brewery, now with two locations. The Tone Factory Recording Studio. Moonshot.com T-Shirt Designs. Mr. Antenna, now your host, Jim Tofte. As somebody once said of my next guest, Brian Volk-Weiss... He's the nerd wizard of Haas, the man behind the curtain who's created and produced so many amazing specials, documentaries, and shows on a variety of topics. He's produced comedy specials for the likes of Jim Gaffigan, Bill Burr, Kevin Hart, to name a few... And, of course, created Behind the Attraction for Disney+, and the Toys That Made Us, and the Movies That Made Us for Netflix. In fact, Movies returns today as I am posting this podcast. I can't wait to talk to Brian about the latest episodes and a little bit more about his crazy start in Hollywood as I welcome back to the Fake Show podcast, Brian Volkweiss.
1: Good
0: morning. Brian, nice to uh, talk to you again. Welcome back. And and boy, I have to say, your series behind the attraction on Disney Plus was just amazing, buddy.
1: Oh, thank you, man. I really appreciate that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a true gift to fans of the parks who love all that history and all the hidden secrets, right?
1: That's what we tried to do, but you never know if it works until you hear nice things like what you just said. So uh, <laughs> yeah. half of the crew, thank you.
0: Were there things that you learned yourself that were like, oh, oh my, God. yeah.
1: Every day, every single day. It was, uh, it, it was, it, it, and rare was there a day when we only learned one new thing. I mean, there there were days where, our jaws were just dropped uh, with everything that we were shown. I mean, we were shown things that the public won't see for another three to five years that, like, I mean, truly... Cannot even believe what we saw when we were watching it.
0: Yeah, and uh, remind me again, because we talked about this the last time I talked to you, how you ended up collaborating with Dwayne Johnson on that.
1: So we had developed a show together that had nothing to do with the parks. It had nothing to do with, you know, attractions. And we pitched that show to Disney Plus, and Disney Plus was like, oh, we like that, but what do you think about this? So they gave us some ideas, and we basically started from scratch and created a brand new show. Went back to them, pitched it to them, and they bought it.
0: It's so great, and it must be cool for you, you know, to see the credits: uh, Dwayne Johnson, uh, Brian Volkweiss, executive producers.
1: I, I it's so funny. For the last year or so, I've been trying to find. A more impactful word than um, surreal. Yeah. But I can't, so maybe you can help me. Maybe you know of a, a more powerful <laughs> version of that word. But to, to say it's surreal, it's, that's the biggest understatement of the, of the millennium.
0: Yeah, it's wonderful. Well, and of course, season three of the movies that made us is uh, premiering this week. And on Netflix, just in time for Halloween, you're featuring the stories behind Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, and Halloween. First, what do we uh, learn about Halloween, which starred a very young Jamie Lee Curtis?
1: We learn many things. Many, many, many things. We learn that... um some actors had uh, massive drinking issues while making the movie. We learned that.
0: Now, are his initials Donald Pleasance? I'm just taking a stab now, there.
1: I don't. I don't want fans mad at me for giving away spoilers. <laughs> but, okay. Uh, there's there's def- definitely a day where I think a couple uh, bottles of wine uh, were were consumed. Um, we show. You know, we show. I mean, all jokes aside for poor Donald Pleasance, um, <laughs> we really show what I mean—a true, for lack of a better word, miracle. It was that the movie got made at all, and the impact that it had on not just the horror genre but a lot of genres. So, you know, we show a lot of stuff that I'm sure a lot of people know that are fans of the movie but like maybe non-horror fans don't know like it's a William Shatner mask that's inside out. Yeah. Like I always knew that but I was always surprised with uh-huh. who didn't know that. But what we really tried to do was just show we we were, Netflix gave us a great opportunity because they you know we were making these episodes simultaneously. So we were really able to show how Halloween led to Friday the 13th, which led to A Nightmare on Elm Street. So we were able to kind of treat treat these three movies kind of like a little mini trilogy in the movies that made us um, canon, for lack of a better word.
0: Interesting. And was it, I'm trying to remember, was it Elm Street, that where Johnny Depp gets swallowed up into the bed?
1: Yes. Yes, uh, it was Elm Street, and Fred he eventually gets swallowed. It's, it's the blood uh, spraying out of the bed at staggering volume that, um,
0: uh-huh.
1: that I always remembered as a kid. And one of the things that we learned while making the movie was that the, the company that made the film, New Line, had spent all this money on a rig that could rotate sets. And that was used in the opening scene um, where she keeps getting thrown around the room. Bob Shea, who was obviously at the time just trying to get his company up and running, Bob Shea was like, yo, we spent all this money. We spent like 20% of the budget on this stupid rig. Let's use it at least twice. And the whole reason that scene with Johnny Depp happened was to reuse something they'd already built. That oh, wasn't really? script. Yeah.
0: Wow, that's amazing. My
1: favorite thing, though, from the Elm Street episode is at the end of the movie when Freddy is walking up the stairs on fire, they had this, like, overzealous, adrenaline-junkie, like, um, stuntman, and all he was supposed to do was, like, fall over in front of the camera, and they're like, action, and he's literally running around the room, following her up the stairs, (laughs) like, doing all these things. And like the crew was like, uh, uh, is he is he really a hurt? Really? So <laughs> that entire scene uh, was basically just because the stuntman was so awesome.
0: That's incredible. Well, you know, and of course the the toys that made us is so good. I'm a big fan, and I know that you're a huge collector of of action figures and all that stuff. How tough was it when you were not you yet? To pitch a show like that to Netflix, to walk in, I mean, how aggressive did you have to be to get this thing up and running?
1: Well, it's funny. Uh, I had been pitching the show for seven years uh, everywhere, and I couldn't sell it. And it was the luckiest of breaks with Netflix. I was already in, I, First of all, I was already in business with Netflix, but I was in business with them very early. I did my first deal with them. In 2009, I I didn't even know what streaming meant. We didn't even have Netflix in my own house. Yeah. But luckily, there was a guy at Netflix who I knew, Devin, very well because of the stand-up comedy business that we had with Netflix. Right. And he was asked to go do some work in Unscripted. And because he knew me and because we were friends and he would see my toy collection, because the problem is producers we get typecast just as much as actors. So whenever I was trying to sell toys that made us, you know, all these companies understandably would say, wait, why is the comedy guy pitching us a show about toys? (laughs) But luckily for me, Devin had seen my toy collection, so he knew it was a passion of mine, and he gave me some really good advice on how to make a tape, a sizzle reel, that Netflix would want to buy, and I followed his advice to the letter, and that's how it happened. Had it not been for all of those lucky breaks, the show wouldn't have happened.
0: It's all that beginning stuff in your career. I love the story about how after college, you get out to uh, Hollywood, and you create a resume that portrayed you as having worked on a lot of films that, and I think this is brilliant, they didn't actually exist, right?
1: Yes, they were all fake movies because... A lot of people lied and said that they worked on movies that they didn't work on, which, A, it's really stupid. That's a great way to get caught. There's Uh like 50 to 200 people on every movie. so It's very (laughs) easy to know, even before the Internet. It's very easy to know if you're lying or not. But number two, and in my opinion, more importantly, that's just not ethical because you're claiming that you worked on a project that you didn't work on, and you're kind of trying to take credit for something you didn't do. But if you said you didn't work on movies that didn't exist, <laughs> A, you can't take any credit away from anything, and B, it was a catch-22 You know, at the beginning of my career. You couldn't get jobs unless you had a resume, and you couldn't get a resume unless you had jobs. So I'm sure there's other—obviously, I'm sure other people found other probably better solutions, but that was mine, and my entire career comes out of that action.
0: I love that, and the Emmy-nominated Movies That Made Us is back on Netflix. Brian, wish we had more time. You stay well. We'll talk uh, hopefully soon, maybe during the holidays.
1: I would love that. You as well. Thank you. All right, bye-bye.
0: Oh, and besides the movies that we mentioned, Brian is also going behind the scenes this season on blockbusters like Aliens, RoboCop, and Coming to America. Brian is incredibly busy with all of these shows that he has now with several different teams working on each. That does it for this episode of The Fake Show Podcast. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com.